preparation for the message, and this will just give us a chance to focus on this as we do meditate. And the last two verses I read uh, are going to be the ones to focus on. Beginning at verse 31, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees here. and says, Then Jesus said Jesus to those Jews who believed on him, and these are the believers out of that setting where he's talking to the Pharisees, uh, then are ye my dis- if ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And they answered him, We be Abraham's seed. In other words, we're Jewish. Uh, we're never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? And here's the two verses we're going to kind of focus on. It says, Jesus answered them, Verily I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin, and the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. If the son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. What a blessing to be free indeed. Amen. Read that passage of scripture there. Uh, Jesus had a way of puzzling his audience by saying certain things. Of course, the thing about Jesus when he said something, he knew what kind of response he was going to get when he said it, didn't he? Because he's omniscient. He knows it. So he's being very intentional. Um, he, he's, not, um, he, he's not trying to just create a stir for creating a stir's sake. Jesus is teaching. He's, he's trying to get people thinking. He's trying to bring things out about uh, the way people are maybe thinking incorrectly sometimes, and, and getting them to make a statement so then he can turn around and respond to it. You can learn a lot about how uh, we can learn better to interact with one another in discipling people or witnessing to people by looking at the example of our Lord. Now, I understand he had abilities. You know, none of us are omniscient. Uh, but at the same point, uh, we, could, we can say things to then generate an opportunity like that. Why do I say that? Because I think we live in such a time of political correctness that everybody's afraid to say something that's going to create a stir, right? Um, You know, it's okay if there's a stir if the truth is delivered in a proper fashion. And uh, and it can be done graciously. Uh, But if if it's done in care, uh, realize there's going to be times that people may not react and respond like they should, but that doesn't mean that we, don't back, that we should back off uh, from saying those things. So here in verse 33 of John 8, these, these Jewish people, uh, and they are followers of Jesus, it says here. So they're, they're not out to get him, but they've been indoctrinated. They've thought a long way in the way that uh, Jewish people did. They've thought for a long way the way the Pharisees taught them to think. So just now that they're a follower of Jesus isn't going to overnight fix all that thinking, is it? And so when Jesus talks about this idea of freedom, you know, I'm thinking, okay, well, if they said we've never been in bondage to any man, okay, what are they maybe thinking? Because any Jewish person probably knew their history as far as the Jewish people were concerned. And as far as the Jewish people were concerned, yeah, they have been in bondage to people. I mean, what about the Assyrian captivity? And, oh, what about the Babylonian captivity? And what about the Medo-Persian captivity? 
Uh, these were very real things. And interestingly enough, while they're saying this, Israel happens to be occupied by the Romans. Okay? <laughs> so uh, maybe they're not thinking in that way. Uh, but Jesus isn't talking about that kind of freedom anyway. He's talking about a spiritual freedom, isn't he? And freedom has always been a, an important topic to any people. If you, if you have it, you're glad you have it, or you neglect it. You take it for granted. One of those two things. If you don't have it, you, you really long for it. You really do. And, you know, we still have freedoms in this country, folks. Really, uh, freedoms that we probably don't deserve that we, you know, have neglected and not been good stewards of these freedoms sometimes. And you go around the world, a lot of people don't come close to the kind of freedoms uh, that we have here. So it's an important, when you talk about freedom, it's an important topic. Freedom was the issue that caused our country to ultimately break with Great Britain in the 1700s, wasn't it? And you had men and women that were willing to hazard their lives, hazard their fortunes for the sake of freedom. And so freedom, or liberty, we could use as a synonym, is a, is a wonderful commodity. It's a wonderful thing. It's a biblical thing if it's done in a biblical way. That's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Now, sometimes people use freedom in a wrong way. They abuse it. In fact, Paul says in Galatians 5.13, he says, Brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. And he's talking about their spiritual liberty. Yeah, you know, God's grace has taken you out of the bondage of sin and you have a, you have a freedom now. You don't have to think that I have to earn my righteousness or, you know, if I don't behave properly today, you know, God's going to, you know, kick me out of his family. No, there is a freedom that we have because of Christ's sacrifice in our, as our Redeemer. We sang about our Redeemer tonight, didn't we? Okay, so you have been called unto liberty, but then he makes this caution. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. In other words, don't say, hey, I'm saved so I can live like I want to. You know, it's not about being good enough to get into heaven. So since I prayed the prayer and I've got my new birth certificate, so to speak, and my name's written in the book of life, I can go out and sin all I want to because it's all under the blood of Jesus Christ. No, he says, don't use that liberty as an occasion for the flesh. Instead, he goes on to say, last part of the verse, but by love serve one another. Because we're free from our sin, say, what a great opportunity I have to serve Jesus. And what better way to serve Jesus since Jesus isn't physically here. He's not looking for us to come up and fan him with palm branches and to bring gold to him and all that stuff. He says, how do, how do we serve Jesus? Well, how do we love Jesus? Well, if we serve one another, if we love one another. If you've done it unto the least of the, one of these, my disciples, Jesus said, you've done it even unto me. So, yes, let's use our freedom, but let's use it as a good stewardship. Again, he's talking about our spiritual freedom, being let free from our bondage from sin. 
But guess what? I believe that still holds true with our freedom that we've been given within our country. I don't just, yeah, let's just enjoy the freedom, make as much money as we can. Let's just, you know, live it up and you know, have a cushy life. No. Hey, if we have freedoms and we have the ability to, to earn money, I think we have a greater responsibility to, to give like no other country. Like churches in America have a responsibility to give for global missions, maybe like no other churches around the world have. Let's use our freedom to serve one another. You know, in history, certain people groups have often had their freedoms in the world abused and compromised. Fair statement? Okay. So as I bring this message tonight, I want to express that it's not my intention to bring emphasis to the disparity of people based on the color of their skin. I want to be very clear about that. This is not to minimize a people group because of their skin color. We often hear the use of the term race in connection with skin color. In fact, you fill out forms, right? You know, and it often say, what is your race? And it'll have, you know, black, white, or Caucasian, or something else like that. It's a mixture of things in there. And, you know, I, I want to be here, I'm thinking, biblically, you know, what should be our viewpoint of something like even categorizing things? Biblically, I believe there's only one race, and that's the human race. Now, are there subgroups within the human race? To some degree, yes. I mean, we know there's nationalities. The Bible even talks about the different nations of the world, the nations in the end, during the millennial, the nations will come and serve Christ. So these are God-recognized distinctions out there. So we understand nations are sort of figured out based on boundaries, right? So that's one distinction. We talk about ethnicities. And sometimes you say, well, the, aren't ethnicities sort of based on nations? Well, yes, but sometimes more than one ethnicity might spill over into multiple nations. You know, like we might say Mexico is a nation, but we might say Hispanic is an ethnicity, and we understand that. But there are Hispanic people that are in other countries, okay? Island nations and things like that. That's what I'm getting at with that. Then there is also cultural distinctions. And this may not have like a label, so to speak, and a lot of times those cultural distinctives are based on those other things, nationalities or ethnicity, what kind of foods we like, what kind of music we listen to, how we celebrate holidays, right? All, we understand these things. There's nothing wrong with recognizing the nuances of humanity into subgroups. It exists. We're not going to deny it. And in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with those things existing. So probably most of you have heard that as we come into February, uh, it's been labeled as Black History Month. And so the question I had, you know, as I was thinking about this, I'm like, so what should be the Christian worldview of something like that? You know, how should a Christian look at the fact that there's a month that's set aside as Black History Month? I think there's many ways 
in which this could be a healthy observance. I also think there's many ways in which this could be an unhealthy observance as well. It often works, unfortunately, to broaden the gap between people groups rather than create appreciation for people groups. Sometimes in the effort to say, well, um, we need to bring unity, the way they go about it actually creates disunity. I'm going to quote from someone, and by quoting him, I'm not endorsing the man necessarily, but I think the statement he makes contains some truth. But you'll know why I'm using this the minute I say this. Martin Luther King Jr. said the following, and it's a well-known quote. He says, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin but by the content of their character. And I read that and I think, if I just evaluate what he's saying there, especially at the end, I'm thinking, that's a good statement. Nobody ought to be judged by the color of their skin. We ought to be judged by the content of our character. And it's really quite foolish for anyone to draw distinctions of someone else based on the amount of pigment in your epidermis, if I can put it that way. I mean, really. It's just as foolish to vary your treatment for another person based on hair color. Okay, you know, all redheads, I'm sorry. You know, you sit over here, right? We don't, we don't do, I hope we don't do that, right? You know, blondes over here, we know what you're like. I can say that, okay. Uh, you know, we understand that uh, if we were to do the same thing with regard to Attached earlobes, you know, those that have unattached earlobes are going to sit on this side of the church. Those that have the other kind over here, you know, belly buttons even, right? I mean, we can get quite ridiculous about this. But we often combine the issue of skin color with our nation's history regarding slavery. And we do understand that there is a, a visual thing that took place there. There was a certain type of person that was put into slavery. There was a time when your skin color did determine your freedom in this country, right? It's just the way it was. The Bible speaks of slavery. It does. But I think it's important for us to understand there's two kinds of slavery that are being discussed in the Bible. One kind is where people are snatched away against their will. And when the Bible refers to that, it is always expressly condemned. For instance, in 1 Timothy 1.10, it speaks of all these different kinds of sinful, wicked people, and it mentions one group, and it calls them men-stealers. We would say kidnappers. Well, guess what? When slavery begins in our country, how does it begin? Men-stealing. There were people... Uh, of very poor character, wicked people that went and stole individuals from a, another location and brought them to a different location and said, you've got to do what we tell you to do. Okay? That is, God is against that categorically. It is never right. 
But there is a second kind of slavery that's mentioned in the Bible, and it's when someone becomes indentured due to financial debt. You run up a debt, you can't pay it, and therefore you have to work it off. This kind of slave is recognized in our Bible as a legitimate role. This form of slavery was not forbidden. God didn't say, oh, you can't do that. But it was regulated. Okay? It wasn't forbidden, but it was regulated. There's a lot in the Bible that talks about how masters were to treat their slaves. And they were to treat their slaves with respect and slaves were supposed to give honor and obedience to their masters. Interestingly enough, in the Old Testament, under Israel's laws and economy, every 50th year they celebrated what was called the year of Jubilee. And guess what happened to everybody that was in slavery that year? You're set free. It didn't matter, by the way, if you had this enormous debt and you started your role as being a slave to work off your debt one month in year 49, and 30 days later, the beginning of the year of Jubilee hits. Guess what? You go free, and your debt is wiped out. You, it's, a, it's a national reset. Now, someone else might have been in slavery for many, many years before that. But this was a way to absolve the debts and give freedom and kind of give a fresh start because, honestly, probably the amount of slavery would just continue to, to mount and mount and mount, and there'd be fewer people that had their freedom than were slaves. Now, this does not mean, just because God didn't completely denounce slavery and regulated it, it didn't mean that the life of a slave was easy. But the Lord taught that if you became a Christian while you were yet still in slave status, indentured, that you were to take heart, that you were to you know, minister yourself on the basis of biblical truth, that while you're in bondage in that way, that you have a freedom, a freedom from your sin, just like we were singing about tonight, being redeemed, and that is true regardless of who your human master is. And by the way, that's incredibly more important than the other. In 1 Corinthians 7.22, give you an example of this. Paul said, for he who is called in the Lord. So if you're at a status where you are in the Lord, means I'm a Christian. If you're in the Lord, you're a Christian. And so if, you're, if you become a Christian as a bond servant, okay, then it says he is a freed man of the Lord. So in other words, you haven't changed. Your jubilee hasn't come along. You still get up every day and you do what your, your master tells you to do, working off that debt. But every day you're also a free man in Jesus Christ. And that's what... God wants us to understand. What's interesting is the second part of the verse says this. Likewise, he who, has, who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. So now he's talking to the masters. So let's say you're a master and you're unsaved and now you get saved. Guess what? 
while you're a master in the economic sense of the word, you're really a slave to the Lord Jesus Christ. She said, I thought I was free in Christ. Well, that's the neat thing about it. It's both ways. We're free from our what, folks? Sin. But we are the prisoner of the Lord. We're a bondservant to serve Him. But it's not a reluctant service if we really understand it. It's a joyous service. By the way, there were bond slaves in the Bible times. And there were slaves in our country's time that they might be granted their freedom and they would turn around and say, I want to stay with my master. And a bond slave was one who would say, okay, I am making the decision to permanently stay with you. And then that would, that would be their status. You know what? What a joy it is for us to say, I don't want to leave Jesus Christ. I don't want to err from him. I don't want to drift from him. I want to be the constant servant of Jesus Christ in my life. But let's talk about our country a little bit with regard to Black History Month. I was reading a book recently entitled Free Indeed, written by a man by the name of Mark Sidwell. It's a very interesting read. In the opening chapter, he talks about a member of a congregation of Pastor John Jasper. John Jasper is a black minister in Richmond, Virginia, right after the Civil War time. And this member, this lady, said of John Jasper, her pastor, and I'm just going to quote exactly what she had written down. He always thought of himself as the servant of King Jesus. That was a slavery that he liked and never wished to get free from it. So this is exactly what I'm talking about. He got it. This pastor got it. And he was a wonderful testimony to his congregation. That even as he was able to step away from whatever kind of of man-stealing situation he had been part of, or maybe his parents had been part of and he grew up in, because many people weren't stolen but their relatives had been and and so it had been perpetuated and so they never got out of that but i think we can learn a great deal about having the right viewpoint of our circumstances based on our standing in jesus christ everything about our life experience should filter through the lens of our position in jesus that's exactly what paul's teaching us there he's like don't sit around and grumble because your circumstances haven't changed Hey, if you're a slave, just realize every day, I'm looking at my situation through the lens of Jesus Christ, and through the lens of Jesus Christ, I'm free. And oh, by the way, I'm a master, and I have servants underneath me that are paying off their debts. Guess what? I have a great debt to my Lord, and I'm going to serve Him every day. That's the lens I look through. We don't have to be in slavery indentured, although some of us might have debts we're working off in different ways. Or we don't have to have someone over us that's indebted to us to appreciate this. We ought to, everything we do, look at it through the lens of what Jesus has done for us. The trouble is that we're prone to look through the lens and filter it through our flesh rather than through the lens of Jesus Christ. And that is a way of skewing our perspective. The history of our nation is dotted with a lot of unbiblical prejudices. 
And let's just be honest about it. It's not been shining moments in our nation's history when people were treated poorly based upon the color of their skin. It was wrong. It was shameful. Some churches were part of it as well. Just because everybody did it, never made it right, folks. These prejudices were not just isolated to the South either. You know, they want to say, you know, oh, the South. Again, in his book, Mark Sidwell writes this, The situation for blacks in the North before the Civil War was somewhat better, but slavery eventually died out in that section, and anti-slavery sentiment was often strong there. Northern blacks enjoyed some opportunities that southern blacks did not enjoy, but prejudice was very real, though as evidenced in the origin of the leading independent black denominations before the Civil War. So before the Civil War, you know, the blacks that were moving up north to run away, you know, the Underground Railroad, things like that. And so when they get there, they have communities, they have churches, they're good some good, solid Christian brothers and sisters in Christ that formed churches. Former slave Richard Allen, who lived from 1760 to 1831, worked with great success among blacks in Philadelphia. The predominantly white Methodist church to which he belonged, however, grew to resent the increasing number of blacks in its congregation. Allen and his followers walked out of a service after church officials tried to forcibly move a black man to seat in the black back of the balcony during prayer. They formed their own church and eventually their own denomination, the African Methodist Episcopal Church, AME, the largest black Methodist group. And a lot of these churches, by the way, started off very solid preaching the gospel. Been, if you walked into their services, you know, the, you know, maybe the worship style would have been a little bit different, but these black ministers were preaching just like you would hear me preach. They were preaching the solid word of God in many cases. But as we go back to the Bible and say, okay, so this is going on. How can we pull something from Scripture? What does Scripture have to talk about prejudice? And was that a problem at all in the Bible? And the answer is yes. This idea of how people looked at these subgroups, these ethnicities, you know, knowing we're all part of one race. And I think about Peter. What a great example to understand someone that wrestled through this. Here's Peter. He is of what ethnicity? He is a, he's a Jew, right? And there is God-given distinctions for the Jews, how they ate, how they handled ceremony, how they handled the civil law. But that was not that God wanted them to think of, we are better than everyone else, right? But because that distinction happened and people have a fleshly tendency, sometimes they did begin. Often they did begin to have this uh, viewpoint of prejudice in a derogatory sort of way. And so here we have in Acts 10, this classic passage where God comes to Peter, gives him this vision. He's getting him ready to go to Cornelius, who is a Gentile, but he wants to be a Christian. And he knows that Peter is going to really scuffle with this because he's thinking, but God, you gave the promise of the Messiah to the Jews, right? And how can we kind of merge together? And so 
Here he's preparing Peter for this interaction for the Gentiles and, and, and him telling him as he sees the sheet with unclean animals, Peter, don't keep calling something unclean that I've made clean. And he's not just talking about those animals. He's talking about, I'm going to purify me a people. I'm going to purify the Gentiles the same way I purified you, Peter, through the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm going to purify them. And there was this great disparity between Jews and Gentiles. And often the Jews seemed to forget the other part of the Abrahamic covenant, not just that from Abraham a great nation was to be made, but hey, part three of that, that through him all the nations of the world would be blessed. Jesus was coming, not he was coming through the seed of Abraham, but he was coming to be a blessing to all ethnicities, all nations. And I say as a Gentile, praise God, don't you? The Jews often forgot that. They became very exclusive in their lineage. The prejudice between Jews and Gentiles went both ways, but often the Jews had more animosity and arrogance in drawing their lines against the Gentiles, sad to say. After God gives Peter a vision, he, Peter changes his tune. And this is what's so exciting, because this is what ought to happen in people's lives when Jesus comes inside of you. He says in Acts 10, 34, and 35, as he's got it now, and he's relating it, and he's standing in front of these Gentiles, he's gone to Joppa, and he's giving testimony. It says, Then Peter openeth his mouth and said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Highlight it. Bold it. Remember that. God is not a respecter of persons. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. And reading between the lines, I don't think it's unfair to say, and when Peter says, God is not a respecter of persons, we can say, so neither should we. Right? And it shouldn't matter what a person's skin color is. It shouldn't matter what their cultural background is. If they come in and they say, I am blood-bought by the, the Lord Jesus Christ and redeemed, and I'm trusting in His shed blood for the forgiveness of my sin. I say, come in, brother. We are so glad to have you here. Prejudices can be a problem. We need to note that that is not godly thinking. We need to come to where, if we're struggling with it at all, we need to come to the place where we say, of a truth I perceive in God. If I have not come to perceive of a truth, help me to come to perceive of a truth. God doesn't respect persons when it comes to nationality, when it comes to ethnicity, skin color, or any other superficial factor. Civil freedom was and is a concern, but it should never eclipse the greater issue of spiritual freedom. Being freed from sin... These people in our country, the blacks, African Americans, however you want to refer to them, they we became free indeed. Some of the rich gospel music that came uh, out of these Afro American churches are filled with wonderful, heartfelt worship. It speaks great truth of men and women and boys and girls that while they were still the objects of men-stealers, they were still free in Jesus Christ. 
Daniel Payne, a, a bishop in the AME church, said to those liberated by the abolition of slavery, uh, as you are now free, and this is in Columbia, South Carolina, as you are now free in body, so now seek to be free in soul and spirit from sin and Satan. The noblest free man is he whom Christ makes free. That's good preaching, right? And I say, praise God for those black ministers that said, you don't just need to hear a civil rights message. What you need to hear is what's going to matter for your soul for all eternity. So if God has given you a, an emancipation of your ability to walk around in daily life, great. But if you're still lost, you're going to die and you're going to spend eternity in the lake of fire. And that's a greater grievance. No amount of reparations made by one distinctive group to another is ever going to really resolve the problems and get to the heart of the problem. It's just not going to happen. Reparations are not the answer. As Jesus taught in John 8, 34, those who actively commit sinful acts are actively committing themselves to spiritual bondage. He that sinneth is a slave to sin. Spiritual bondage is the worst kind, although often the most overlooked and the, and the most misunderstood. And only the work of the Son of God in the human heart can release a person from that bondage. Nothing else can. Nothing else can. And as we have heard, and I'll end with this, when Jesus set you free, you are free indeed. Father, thank you for the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the freedom that we can share with others that, that matters most. Lord, I pray that this truth would become the real banner that is held up by people that are talking about freedom. That the ministers of today would again echo their, their forerunners in the, the black churches of bygone days, and say, listen, what is the condition with regard to your souls? Are you free there? Have you let King Jesus make you free? Lord, we, we pray for this end. We pray for revival. Not just in one particular group of people. Not just in one skin color. Lord, but that we all, as human beings, all, who have come short of the glory of God. We are all in need of your grace. And we thank you for your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.